0: Hello waffle lovers and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365SportsCast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We're going to talk Vikings, we're going to talk Gophers, and we'll probably talk about the Twins a little bit too. I'm glad you decided to tune in. And listen to these discussions on Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week. And welcome to those of you tuning in for the first time. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. We've got two interviews this week. Our regular segment, Wisdom with Wyatt, to break down last week's Vikings win. And a look ahead with a fan of the New Orleans Saints. Here we go. It's time once again for Wisdom with Wyatt. Wyatt Grosskreutz joining the program, and we are going to break down the Vikings game. Uh, we're chatting on a late Sunday afternoon here. Uh, I don't even know how to feel, Wyatt. I told you uh, about two o'clock. I didn't think this was going to go so well, and then things change. How was your roller coaster of emotions during the Vikings win? Well, I'm not gonna lie. At one
1: point, I thought the Lions were gonna pull out a
0: win. I mean,
1: they were down, what was it, 24-14 going into the fourth yep, quarter. Yep. They were not moving the ball too well on offense for the second half. And then Captain Kirk, <laughs>
0: as,
1: as we know him to be,
0: decided
1: to lead a comeback. And, I, hey, I'm I'm a happy guy right now. It's always good when the Vikings win on a Sunday. But there's definitely a lot that needs to be fixed.
0: The, the, so, there sure is. And it's... Um... It's difficult sometimes. You, you watch and you see some of the good things. Uh, you see the reemergence of KJ Osborne, Adam Thielen making big plays. But like, where has Justin Jefferson disappeared to? our teams just—that's their focus to stop him and let somebody else beat beat them.
1: Definitely, you watch the Lions defense. They were doubling him almost all day, and that's fine by me. Pick your poison. We have Adam Thielen, we got KJ Osborne. Right. Smith Jr. is starting to um, come into the offense a little bit more. You have Dalvin Cook. Fortunately, he got hurt, but you got Alexander Madison. And it was good to see Kirk finding Adam Thielen right. and K.J. Osborne and not being so one-dimensional.
0: Well, and, and that's just it. You know, we saw in Philadelphia last week trying to force it to Jefferson all the time. And I, I have to imagine that had to be part of practice this week of, listen, we know he's great. But so are these other guys, and to win the game, you can't force it to Justin Jefferson. And if he ends up with three catches and 14 yards, then that's who cares as long as you win.
1: Yeah, I thought Kirk did a very good job of spreading the ball around today. I mean, Adam Thielen, when you look at his numbers, he had, what was it, Uh, something like six catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, that's... That's way better than what he's seen in the weeks prior, and he had over eight targets in weeks one and two. I don't even think he combined for eight targets. no. <laughs> so it's awesome to see him getting involved in the offense.
0: I think you're right, you know, and even even you know, spreading out different three different tight ends caught a ball today. CJ Ham had two catches today, you know, and in big moments too. Uh, that that's important as well. I think of that. Cousins, you know, he trusts these guys, I, I, I'm going to go with this, and I'm going to hit the guys who are open, and, and there's something about playing at home too, of course, compared to playing in a hostile environment like Philadelphia.
1: Oh yeah, I think I think playing at home is always a benefit, I mean, but today the crowd was pretty quiet there for a while, and then <laughs> it got loud, and then it got quiet again, so in a way, it it really didn't play much of a factor until the end of the game when they finally started to make a comeback. Right, But a lot of it, on today's win, we can thank Dan Campbell and him being a likable guy, but let's face it, a not-so-great head coach.
0: Well, you know, I've seen back and forth on this. I've been cruising around social media this afternoon a little bit, and, and some people ripping them for always going on fourth down. The reality, what were they, four for six on fourth down today, something like that? Um Yeah, yeah th-
1: I I didn't have a problem with the the fourth down is not a big deal. He likes being aggressive. If you're an aggressive coach, that's awesome. Be aggressive. But at the end of the game, when it's fourth and four and we have no timeouts and you decide to kick a fifty six yard field goal well, yeah. Yeah. Instead of going for it on fourth and four, when like you said we're there four for five on fourth down, that is just a stupid call.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, there's there's a part of me that understood. Well, it's see, then Vikings have to score a touchdown, but if they do, they're going to win if they make the extra point. I even thought of just do a little pooch punt, try to pin the Vikings deep, you know, and make them go a little bit farther even. Um, but you're right. That that was a questionable we'll call. I didn't mind the fourth down calls. If I'm a Lions fan, either uh, you do. You have to be aggressive, and if you're a franchise that has been as down and out as the Detroit Lions, well, if you think you're going to make a statement this year, you you go for a lot of those, I guess. But um, to the Vikings' credit, they finally figured it out. You know, getting beat on these fourth downs all the time, and and there were a couple plays where they like went all in, guessing it's going to be this, it's going to be a run play. And it was a play action pass. Don't you have to kind of. You still got to have some safety out there of, of covering the various options. You can't just completely guess, can you?
1: Sometimes you can, sometimes
0: okay.
1: you can't. That's, <laughs> that's the game. I mean, I I don't know much about Ed Donatello, but I do know the last two, like, I think since I think all three weeks, he's run a sort of shell defense. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But like you said, there will be times when you can see he he has a gut feeling, it seems like,
0: that he knows what they're going to run, and sometimes it pays off and sometimes right.
1: it doesn't. And we'll praise him for what it does <laughs> and we'll hate on him for what it doesn't. Yeah. But I can tell you right now, you need that a little bit as a coach. You need to have the ability to say, I think they're going to do this, so let's do this. Right. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. You're never going to be 100% right. right. But you also need to have a little bit of like, well, let's prevent for this too, but right? I think it's gonna be
0: this. Yeah, I saw a little bit like a baseball player guessing on whether it's a fastball or a changeup or you know and sometimes you just look foolish out there and sometimes you're Aaron Judging you hit a home run. Uh, <laughs> every single time. Uh you know the defense these moments and and you know you and I talked about and I've talked about with some other people on the show. You know, we don't need the defense to be great, but when the offense is kind of scuffling along we do need the defense to step up at times and uh, one thing that I was reading about after the game was uh, just this, this adjustment to the 3-4 and how, like, Daniil Hunter doesn't quite look the same at times because, you know, he's used to kind of getting down in the dirt and, and going from there, and he's not always doing that now in this new defense. Um, I assume they could probably still make some adjustments throughout this season. It's not like a hard and fast that has to be run this way kind of a defense.
1: Yeah, I definitely yeah, I see I see what you're getting at. There's definitely some learning curves to this defense and you can see it with even some of our veterans like Eric Eric Kendricks and Daniel Hunter. There's a learning curve to a whole new system and a whole new defense. And it's still only week three. So hopefully they could start to work out some of those kinks and start to figure out how to stop offenses and until they do stuff like and let's give credit to the Lions too. I said I said last week they were gonna it's gonna be a tough game and the Lions showed today they're not a bad team. Right. And they've played two two good offenses the last two weeks, in my opinion. The Lions are not nearly as good as the Eagles, but they played well today. And what I liked is the Vikings didn't play amazing, but they still found a way to win. Yeah. And the offense showed signs that they still have um the ability to score a lot of points but like you said the defense needs to clean things up and hopefully schematically they can get a little better.
0: Right. You brought up uh you brought up uh Eric Kendricks and boy he made one of the plays of the game defensively knocking away a pass at the last minute. You know, he did that in week 1 against the Packers as well um out in coverage in the end zone. Pa- Patrick Peterson made some plays today after You know, we kind of ripped on him a little bit last week for looking slow. Uh, Maybe you listened to the show. I don't know. Maybe that fired him up. Uh, (laughs) Probably not. But, uh, you know, he looked better defensively, too, because without Harrison Smith out there, the whole defense changes in the secondary.
1: Yeah. Hitman is a a game changer. You can put him wherever you want. and hes he's a player that when he's on the field, you have to give him attention. And without him out there, it's definitely different. And I didn't think Josh would tell us – Played that bad anyway, but you're right. It does change the entire defense and the scheme they have to use. And there were moments it looked good, and there were moments it didn't look good. Right. And hopefully they can get it cleaned up next week for New Orleans.
0: Yeah. Well, and Metellus comes up with the clinching interception at the end. Good for him. He almost had one, you know, right before then. But uh you know, even there was the this was felt felt like the Lions. You know, they still had a chance. Uh Goff just throws it up there at the end. And you're thinking, what are you doing? Um, of course, the Vikings were putting some pressure on at that point too, but but I still I still contend that the Lions are on their way to be able to do something good, and maybe Dan Campbell needs somebody whispering in his ear like uh, uh, the new Denver coach uh, Hackett. He hired a guy this week to help him figure out how to do things the right way, <laughs> um, an in-game specialist. But uh, you know, another thing from the Lions' standpoint. Our old buddy Mike Hughes, former Viking, boy, did he get burned today. He t- did not look good out there for the Lions. No, he did
1: not. There were many times when he looked just lost in coverage, he was getting beat, or simply just looked like he was unprepared to play today. And
0: he's kind of making the front office look smart for getting rid of him. Right. <laughs> right. Hopefully right. he could turn
1: it around. I don't ever wish. A bad, bad things on any NFL player, but yeah, today he sure helped the Vikings get some
0: touchdowns. Well, and I, and I always liked him when he played, or he was hurt a lot and everything else. And I thought, man, this guy could be pretty good. I think, but uh, you know, it, it, we'll take advantage of that certainly. Now, there's some credit to the Vikings here, where you go, okay, uh, down 14 in the first half, come back and tie it. Down 10 in the fourth quarter, come back and win it. That. That's, this could be one of those games, you know, and again, it's early in the season, as you mentioned, but you make two big comebacks in a game, which is hard to do in the NFL, and and win the game. Maybe that propels you because the schedule looks favorable coming up.
1: Yeah, I think you can use that momentum to help with with games coming up, like you said. We got New Orleans on Sunday, and she got Chicago. That Chicago will be a. Uh, I don't want to say easy game, but it's a game you should win. And then you got Miami, who looks like they're going to be a good team. And if you can use this type of momentum to help propel you in the next week, the week after, week after, it's always good to have that type of momentum for your team and for the locker room, too, because you can see that you're able to erase deficits. It helps mentally as much as it does like on the field and off the field.
0: Right. And I loved... <clears throat> as my wife and I were watching the game and they're moving into field goal position to potentially tie it. And Michelle said, oh, I just hate overtime. I said, well, they're going to take a shot at the end zone here. They have to take a shot at the end zone. You've got to play to win here. You're ready in position to kick a field goal. I um, mean, You want to get a little bit closer, but you've got to take a shot. They had enough time to do that. And I thought that was a, a great play call. Like, let's go try to win this game. We're not going to play to tie it we're going to play to win this game here at the end, and they come through and do that.
1: Yeah. Like we said with Zimmer a lot, there were times when Zimmer was coaching, it seemed like they would play to not lose. Well, today, when you watch O'Connell coach and the entire coaching staff, you can get mad at them for certain things, you can be happy about certain things, what I do like is they play to win. They don't play not to lose.
0: Right. Right, there. There was one thing that frustrated me a little bit today as I was watching, and that was uh, it seemed like the times the the play call, the offensive play call was well, we're gonna we're gonna try to just put this touch pass, you know, throw it deep, throw it deep, and it's you know it's third and two, and we're gonna chuck it 20, 25 yards downfield, and they did that a number of times, and I don't mind occasionally, but it felt like um, like we're gonna throw this out here and. Kirk's not always going to hit that. He's pretty accurate. But it felt like maybe they were just trying to get another penalty because there were a lot of those defensive penalties in the Lions today, too.
1: Yeah, I, that that could be. O'Connell is a new play caller, too. I mean, sometimes new play callers or quarterbacks, some, just people in general, they'll feel they need to get it all back in one play when that's just not how football works. And I, like I said, it's only week three. I think O'Connell will get better as he goes, and as teams start to get filmed on the Vikings, it's obviously going to get harder. But I have a lot of faith in him right now because he's shown. besides week two, he's shown the ability to be able to scheme for teams and have success. Now, granted, Philadelphia obviously was awful, but we had the one drive where it looked really good, and there were other drives where it looked good. So I haven't, like, he's got the ability to do this, it's just going to come down to how well is he going to adjust as teams adjust to him.
0: Right, and and we have to keep remembering, even though he was offensive coordinator for the Rams, he wasn't play-calling, so th- this is kind of new for him. And he did talk about during this past week after the Philadelphia game and a and little self-reflection and said, you know, maybe I was trying to get too much back at once sometimes, and instead of working back into the Philadelphia game, trying to overcome the deficit too quickly, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, being down by six runs in baseball and trying to hit a home run on every swing. Well, the home run isn't going to do anything for you. Uh, you have to chip back a little bit at a time. So he's learning from that too, like you said, and uh, uh, just just little things kind of pop out. I was pleased too that you know even down by ten in the fourth quarter, they weren't afraid to run the ball. That that there's no panic there because they have. I mean, and we'll get to Delvin Cook's injury in a little bit, but you know, even with Alexander Madison out there, he's bursting through. He's making plays, and they know that, hey, these guys can break something at any time. Why go away from one of our strengths?
1: One, to piggyback off that, that's credit to the offensive line. I thought they played well today at some yes. points. There are moments they didn't, but they have definitely improved this year. I think um, Ed Ingram is getting better. I think Ezra Cleveland's getting better. Bradbury's still not great, but I definitely think he's getting better. And this that is credit to the offensive line. If you're able to run the ball when you're down by ten and successfully march down the field and have the confidence to do it, that props to you because that means your offensive line's doing well and you're scheming up well.
0: Right. Because and we've said we've talked about this before. Delvin Cook is a special running back. Alexander Madison is very good, but that line helps him look really good. You know, I think I think they, they open up holes and propel him to be a better player than he might be on a, on a team that doesn't have a very good offensive line. And that it makes all the difference. I go, always go all the way back to Emmett Smith, one of the great all-time runners. But he had one of the best offensive lines in Dallas that any team has ever had. And I always wanted to kind of say, well, put him behind a mediocre offensive line and see how good he really is, like Barry Sanders was for the Lions for many years.
1: Yeah. A great offensive line will make
0: even the most mediocre talent look elite. Yeah, yeah. So, Delvin Cook, you know, we don't know anything other than he had a shoulder injury today, but it sure looked um, disconcerting. He was in some pain out there and he looked like uh, he knew something bad had happened. And this is Delvin Cook, isn't it? He's the Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Vikings. You can expect that he's going to miss a game or two every single year, I think. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, just based on seeing that initial reaction from him, that maybe next week he will not play against New Orleans?
1: I mean, probably. That's Dalvin. He's he's never going to play 17, and that's fine. But when he does play, he's electric. And we have Alexander Madison. We have Ty Chandler. We have Mila Monvo. I'm not worried about it as much as I would be if we didn't have those guys. Right. We have a good offensive line. Alex Madison is a good running back. And we have Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, KJ Osborne. I, O'Connell. Hopefully, he can scheme it up well. They got a tough New Orleans defense,
0: but who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and a lot of things change, and I'll we'll get to New Orleans in a second. I just I was thinking, you know, Ty Chandler has been inactive all three weeks here, and and not surprisingly, you know, he's the low man on the totem pole. But we saw a lot of good things from him in the preseason, and if Cook has to miss, you know, one of the reasons that Chandler is inactive is. Uh, uh Wang Wu is, is a good kick returner, so he's out there for that reason. But I think that if Chandler gets elevated to the to the um, active roster, he might get some touches out there. He might get some of the Alexander-Madison touches if Madison becomes the starter. And I'd be excited to see that.
1: Well, I wouldn't be shocked if they threw, threw him in the passing game a little bit, too. He's yeah. got the ability to do that.
0: Yeah. I just, I think he's a, he's a, he's a good talent and, and somebody that could really contribute. Again, we're speculating, but if Cook happens to miss some time. So next Sunday, uh, people have to get up a little bit early. As the Vikings play, I think it's 8.30 over in London. 8.30 our time. Uh, and the New Orleans Saints lost again today um, to Carolina. But like you said, they've got, they've got a good defense there in New Orleans. Um, just offensively, boy... Jameis Winston, oof, he's an interception machine.
1: Yeah, he's playing with some broken, or I don't know if it's broken ribs or fractured ribs, but he has not looked like a good quarterback these last two weeks. And if you're the Vikings, you've got to capitalize on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine you've got to bring some pressure on there, force him into some things. Hopefully, Smith should be back from the concussion. That makes a difference out there, too. Um, there's always a little bit of the, the time change, flying to London. And uh, and doing that, but I'm looking at another good opportunity for a Vikings win next week against the Saints.
1: I am too. I think if the Vikings can run the ball effectively against that tough New Orleans defense, wear them down, get Justin Jefferson going because he was quiet today, and keep using Adam Thielen and KJ Asborne, and if that defense can force turnovers against a turnover-pro and Jameis Winston. The vikings set themselves up for what i think will be a good win on sunday against a tough new
0: orleans team there you got it two predictions in favor of the vikings for next week wisdom with wyatt will return again we'll see how we did in our predictions and break down the new orleans game next week i was able to track down trace Girard, a fan of the new orleans saints he works in some sports media down in that area and he'll talk a little bit about that. And we're going to preview the Viking Saints showdown coming up right now. Joining the program this week for our preview segment, Trace Gerard coming to us as a New Orleans Saints fan. Uh, does a lot of things down there um, in the Bayou State. Uh, Trace, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, ah, thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate you reaching out.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you... I know you're very involved in sports media and you've got um, got some other things going on. Our listeners, maybe if they want to uh, listen in, they can they can tune in uh, to you. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, work, I cover the New Orleans Saints
2: uh, for a company called Chat Sports. We're a YouTube company based in Dallas, Texas. i uh, actually from the great state of Texas. I'm a diehard Saints fan since I was... Just a kid. I uh, love the Saints. I believe black and gold. We actually do have a uh, pretty great Vikings channel as well. Uh, y'all should check it out, Vikings Now. They, it, Patrick Seaman, he's a huge fan. He's been doing the same thing. He's a big Vikings guy. But uh,
0: yeah, we I love the Saints. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about some football, man. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that'll be something we'll have to check out. All these uh, different YouTube channels and other things. So many great ways to follow all these professional sports teams. So, Absolutely. Trace, coming into the season as a Saints fan, uh, a change in the old guard, Sean Payton uh, stepped down, and new coach mm-hmm. comes in, and, and kind of what were the expectations for this handoff, and and what was going to change, or what might stay the same with the Saints?
2: Yeah, so, uh, with Den- Sean Payton stepping down and quote-unquote retiring, uh, <laughs> Dennis Allen was eventually promoted to head coach. Dennis Allen's been with the Saints for quite some time as the defensive coordinator, he's been in the Sean Payton office and in the in that regime for quite a while. Uh, so, you know, the, the only the only big change is, you know, who's really taking over play-calling duties on the offense with uh, Pete Carmichael. So Sean Payton obviously was, you know, calling a lot of the offensive plays. Pete Carmichael would give his input, but, you know, Sean Payton was the mastermind and the puppeteer of it all. But Pete Carmichael now gets to kind of get the opportunity to really show what he has learned and show what he can do and show what his side of the offense was and stuff, which is, really exciting. And as Saints fans, we were all really pumped to see what that's going to look like. And, you know, there was some pretty high expectations. Um, I mean, getting Michael Thomas back, having Alvin Kamara, you know, obviously when we are in the off season, dealing with the, the potential suspension, that looks like it's not going to be going on until next season. Um, but, right, but there was some high expectations in the sense of the offense was looked was, we're expecting it to be good. We brought in Jarvis Landry, and that's a big boost in terms of getting another veteran guy and another uh, proud me- member of the state, or a proud member of like the Louisiana State, um, <laughs> yep. and somebody who can, you know, bring that energy and that, you know, charisma to the offense. And the same thing with Tyron Matthew, you know, doing that, filling that same role on the defense as Malcolm Jenkins retired. So, you know, there was high expectations in the sense of you know, there, there's a lot of fun and a lot of exciting pieces that were coming in, but there's a lot of question marks as well. Um, I, I would say, as, as a fan base, we're a little bit disappointed in how things are going so far. Um, there's a little, there's some questionable things going on that we're not really all sure why the reasoning is, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of a little too early to be like, hey, this regime is terrible. Like, what, what's going on? Get right. out of
0: here, you know? It's right. only
2: week three. You gotta, gotta let the wheels start going, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and you know... As you say maybe a little disappointing to start one and two, um, you know, losing to a Carolina Panthers team that the Saints had beaten what nine straight times or something like that. Um, yeah, and, I mean,
2: so it, that was brutal. That was ugly. <laughs> that was ugly. I just I was so mad. Well,
0: and is you know like Jameis Winston, you know what you get out of him as a quarterback. He he's got mm-hmm. some some times where he's just tremendous, and he's so talented and yeah. makes some big plays. And then the turnovers seem inevitable almost.
2: Yeah. And so my my big thing, that it seems like the turnover situation, and um, when Sean Payton was there, he had that great 14-touchdown, 3-interception ratio. I mean, that was incredible, like, that he was doing that kind of production and and he tore his ACL, and we didn't really get to see what was going to come of that season. And, I mean, based on those numbers, he was looking to do pretty dang good. And so when he was coming back healthy, Saints fans were like, that's what we're, we expect. We want this Jameis back. This is what we're going to get. Um, and you know, with the injury that he suffered in his lower in his lower back, he has four fractured vertebrae. It, you know, he says he's fine. He says it's not affecting him, but you can just tell it's, it. May be not, it maybe not. It is limiting, limiting him physically, yeah. and he may not say it. But more so, that uh, the issue, in my opinion, is how it's going on mentally. Like you're thinking about the injury. You're thinking about don't put too much or too much torque or too much. Twist, or too much power behind, or whatever you're doing, hey, because you're thinking about I don't want to hurt my back, or you and you misread the throw, you overthrow, you know. Yeah. He's had a lot of inconsistent inconsistencies in these last couple games, and it's been very frustrating, and it's been very apparent that there's injury issues. And what's most frustrating is we they signed the Saints brought in Andy Dalton as a quarterback to be the backup, and they're paying him three million dollars guaranteed, up to six million. Why would you not? If Jameis Winston's not playing well, and your offense is suited to fit around him. Andy Dalton was perfect in the preseason, and he looks great in training camp. Why would you not, you know, let him play, get Jameis healthy, then throw him
0: back out? Right, there? and Andy Dalton has—he's a—he's a very good quarterback. You know, his time in Cincinnati, yeah. he's yeah. had a—he's had a step in when he's with Dallas. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I had a coach tell me one time that when when you're out on a playing field, no matter what sport it is, and you're worried about an injury, you're going to get more hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to be yeah. the case. Like you say, you know, like you look. Yeah, absolutely. You look this last Sunday, and he threw for 353 yards, but uh, that's that's when, deceiving in some ways too.
2: You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, at right. 353 yards. That, you're moving the ball up and down the field
2: three and a half times. That you should at least have two, two, arguably three, maybe because you have a rushing touchdown. But two touchdowns is not unreasonable when
0: you have a 300 plus yard game. Right, right. You know and and you mentioned Kamara's back um and he's got you can't keep kind of waiting for him to have that big game but uh, and the receiving yeah. core, you know Michael Thomas when he's when he's healthy and that's always been an issue with him, he's he's such a talented receiver but um and I'm going to say his name yeah. wrong. Chris Olave, did I say that right? Yeah. Uh yeah, you got it right. Boy, he and, 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 you know, as a fantasy football player, that name was floating around during our draft, and he had a big game. Um, he, he's the real deal, isn't he?
2: Yeah, so he has yet to get his first touchdown, so Saints fans are eager to see him get that. But he is, he is when he has gotten the ball and he has gotten a good throw, it's been very impressive what he has been able to do. Um, he did have one fumble on a that, that he fell down as he was coming down with the catch, and it, he hit the ground and it bounced out. and that that sucks. That's a you know it happens unfortunately. Um, you know I think with experience that's something that you learn to you know be able to handle better. But I mean I I, I said it on my show recently. I think Chris Owam is the future of the of the Saints receiving core. I love Michael Thomas, but you know like we like the elephant in the room is they, he has major injury issues. He has major injury concerns every season. He's already he was back and then he already had an injury issue as we we're leading up to the preseason and in, into uh, the week one. Like it's. He's a dominant receiver when he plays, but, you know, the best ability is availability. And I'm not trying to dock Michael Thomas because I love him. I love the you know what he can do for the team that I, I love to cheer for. But I think Chris Olave has so much talent around him. I think if you can get Michael Thomas healthy and you have Chris Olave opposite, it's that, that offense with a quarterback that can pair it out like Jameis Winston can when he's healthy and when he makes good decisions, when that happens, <laughs> I think that offense is pretty much unstoppable
1: in the past game.
0: Right. Right. So switching switching from offense, I mean, the defense for the Saints has been pretty stellar this year. I mean, not that Baker Mayfield's yeah. some sort of all-pro or anything, but holding him to 170 yards, holding Christian McCaffrey right around yeah. 100 yards. I mean, he's so talented, too, and he's not breaking out. Uh, that defense, boy, they yeah. can stop, so, stop some big names. I mean,
2: that defense could stop a, a boulder coming down a mountain. It's incredible. <laughs> I, I really love what I've seen from you know the front – like the front four and the and even the linebackers, Demario Davis. He's a, he's been around with the Saints for quite some time, and he is he is just such a leader, and he is such a dominant um, voice and such a, a respected guy on the offense. And, and even Pete Werner, he's a linebacker that's really started to step up and shine. He's been leading the team in tackles, and he kind of was. Uh, they, there was a who's who going to be that linebacker because Saints are like, do they re-sign Quan Alexander? Do they go, What 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 do they do with that linebacker position? They drafted. Uh, they addressed it in the draft in the late rounds, but that that's you, you got to develop those kind of players. There's injury stuff, you know. You got to develop let that time comes before you're a starting linebacker week one of the season. Uh, but I, I think that Pete Wiener has done a phenomenal job of doing that role. Uh, Marshall Scuffle with uh, Mike Evans every year. It's honestly great entertainment if you ask me, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the secondary has done what we've expected. I really like how Tyron Matthews kind of controlling the defense, and he's kind of being a good leader out there. And I, I want to see a little bit more out of them. I want to see them force some more turnovers. Um, that's one thing I'd like to see happen a little bit more in terms of, you know, they're getting some fumble recoveries, but I want to see them force picks. I want to see them force, you know, bad mistakes and
0: um, more three and outs and, let, and shorter drives for the uh, for the defense. You know. Okay. 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 So when when you look now, and of course, the game this Sunday is over in London. 8:30 uh, yeah. start time. We all have to, you know, make sure we're out of bed and get up a little bit sooner <laughs> to watch our favorite teams play. But uh, always kind of an exciting trip. And and um, you know, is there a lot of buildup in the New Orleans area? Like, hey, this is a really cool thing that our team gets to do, yeah. or do people grumble because um, it's not the normal time that the game is on?
2: Well, I mean, there's obviously the, uh it's not. It, like, <laughs> why is it not? It, it's at 8:30 in the morning. Who cares? But like. I will say this about Saints fans: they're some of the most passionate fans out there in terms of what I've experienced. I can't say I can't say that I've been to a ton of NFL stadiums and seen how other fan bases really are. Um, but I, in terms of how I've seen it, it's unbelievable how how dedicated some of those fans are. And there's a lot of buildup. I'm pretty sure I saw like New Orleans is like on a pretty big win streak on a nice hot streak in London ironically okay. which is kind of interesting um and, and it's kind of cool to get to rock those new black helmets so right it'll be kind of fun to see in action yeah um i mean yeah there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of build-up it feels like a must win in the in the sense of we're one and two could be one and three falling behind in the division you know you really gotta
0: you don't want to be one and three you know no going into the you, that that's not a good spot to be so well it, it feels like a must and there's a, there's a lot of energy anticipated and, and I even look at these types of games and you say potentially for wild card tiebreakers you know yeah, absolutely because the Vikings and Saints could both be in that position down the stretch and, and who wins this game could make a big difference in home field or making the playoffs absolutely
2: absolutely yeah. and and what another fun thing about it is like um, I feel like the Saints and the Vikings have have had like a fun little rivalry going on these past few years, and with the Minnesota Miracle, the push off with the you know the uh, Saints beating the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl, and you know there's the, the Alvin Kamara six touchdown game. Like there's so many fun, right. like big moments for both teams in that game in this series. So it's, I feel like it's going to be a fun game. It has to be.
0: Uh, it, it's set for a a big scene, a cool stage. Uh, I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully,
2: this is the
0: game that we see
2: somebody pop finally. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I'd love to see Alvin Kamara do some fun stuff.
0: Of course. I uh, I'm glad you brought up the past because um, you know you mentioned some of these huge games, uh, the 2009 NFC Championship game, which um, sticks in the craw of every Vikings fan ever and uh, I, I'm not sure that Sean Payton could walk safely down the streets of Minneapolis to this day uh, <laughs> <laughs> with, with Bounty Gate and everything else. And uh, Of yeah. course, I tend to look at it and say, yeah, there were some, some shifty things, but at the same time, if we don't have 12 men in the huddle, Ryan Longwell kicks a field goal and we're going to the Super Bowl that year. Uh, yeah. as, as simple as that. But um, the Minneapolis Miracle makes me happy every single time I watch it. If I'm feeling sad, I pull uh, it up and, and watch it. I, I, oh, that makes me just want to, like, <laughs> <laughs> throw something through a wall. I could put myself exactly where I was, and then oh, I, that was just one of the worst. That and the no call between those two day, those games. Yep.
2: made me just hate football
0: for yeah. so much. It, it was yeah. just awful. Well, it, it's hard, and you were maybe like me. Like the day after the 2009 NFC Championship game, I couldn't even turn on the radio. I didn't want to look on the internet. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I, I just, I couldn't deal yeah. with it. And, uh, I turned my phone off for about
2: two days. I was yeah. like, I'm not
0: looking at anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we all have that, no matter what sport, no matter what team, you have those, those times. Yeah. And that's what makes sports great, yeah. I always think. is We have those, and, and you and I can sit here and we can talk about it, and and there's a little bit of begrudgment between, between both fan bases, but uh, like you say, there, that little rivalry, that's kind of a fun thing too, and, and granted there aren't a lot of players necessarily left that played in those types of games, but, um, but it's yeah. there. You know and 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 yeah no. and and like you were saying it's still a fun thing and it's in
2: like you wouldn't necessarily expect the Vikings and the Saints to have a rivalry, but through these big games and through these big moments that seem to go back and forth between the two teams, it makes it it makes it more fun and it makes it whenever your team wins that much sweeter and when your team lose that sting that much more, which is you know, like you said, that's what's so great about sports. You, you get the the lowest of lows, but you also get to experience
0: the highs, the highs. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. incredible. Well, I can only imagine. I mean, I, at some point they'll face each other in the playoffs again, some year, whether it's this year or down the road. And the NFL's going to yeah. make a big deal about that. You know, they'll bring those games <laughs> up and and show them, and because that's the history is is there. So uh, when Absolutely. we when we look at this Sunday, and you talk about you know the defense of the Saints and the the, the really the star offensive players, it looks like. Uh, Delvin Cook is going to play this Sunday. There was some question about that, but um, he sure sounds like he's, he's planning on playing. Uh, you've got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, a lot of offensive weapons. Um, will the yeah. Will the Saints defense be able to stack up and uh, and stop all those weapons the Vikings have?
1: Yeah, I think
2: it'll definitely be a challenge. I mean, the Vikings, like you said, have a lot of offensive weapons, and uh, fortunately for the de- for the Saints, the defense is their strong suit. That is. The, the defense has not been the what's losing them games. Um, it's it's been the offense ultimately. Um, I mean, you can you can keep well, the Bucks game for example is a perfect there's a perfect example of you can only do so much and your offense is just going to let you down eventually. Like and yeah. it sucks. That's kind of I, I I feel like that's a good learning game and that's a gut check of we have to kind of get it together here. And so that's one of those games I feel like is a humbling. Like all right, we need to fo- refocus, recenter, and kind of thing. So it's necessary, but it stings. Um, but like you said, the Vikings have a lot of really talented weapons. Um, Justin Jefferson makes me nervous. I think Marshawn Lattimore is definitely gonna have his hands full. Um, they're both very talented uh, guys. They're gonna be able to be physical. They're gonna, I know Marshawn Lattimore is gonna be John. I know Justin Jefferson is gonna be having some fun. It's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting matchup. I think that could be uh, a kind of interesting one to watch. And I really I'd really like to see. Um, Paulson Adebo uh, get get some you know take some steps. He hasn't he hasn't really played much. He's been dealing with injuries. Alante Taylor, unfortunately, this would have been a great game to see him play, but he just got put to the IR. He was our second round draft okay. out of Tennessee this year. But um, you know the, the Saints defense is definitely missing is definitely feeling the the gap and missing C J Gardner Johnson. Um, but I would say they're doing a great job of readjusting and and making it work the best they can and for as long as they can. So I think the best way that the best way the Saints defense can get a break is if the offense helps them out early. You know,
0: I think yep. if they can help them out early, the defense will be able to, you know, stay active and stay on top of it and be able to keep up with Dalvin Cook and Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And, um, I mean, Kirk Cousins is, you know, you can say what you want, but he is one of the most accurate passers out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can look at his passers, his stats, his, per, his,
2: percent, his completion percentage is up in the upper 60s every time. It's, right. it's impressive. You can't knock it, so... Um, you know, you got to rattle Kirk Cousins, make him uncomfortable, put some pressure on him. But I think it's, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be interesting. I think that our defense is definitely going to have our hands full. But, um, you know, I think that the
0: offense is definitely going to have to work for it and earn, earn the points and earn the yards that they get. Right. And I, I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, uh, Jefferson broke out against the Packers, but then the last two games he's been double teamed consistently, and I wonder if the Saints will follow that pattern and say we're going to let somebody else beat us of course, then somebody else beats you. You know, it's so hard to say. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden yeah. there's KJ Osborne, and we have about four tight ends. It seems like, and you know, Delvin Cook, and yeah. even Alexander Madison will break one. But you know, you, you mentioned Kirk yeah. Cousins, and and Vikings fans are kind of the love him or hate him. Um, I recognize yeah. that he's a he's a very good quarterback. He just hasn't won the big games, but. To me, this is the key, and it really is the key on both sides. It's that defensive pressure up front. If you pressure Cousins into turnovers, as the Eagles did, uh, the Saints Uh win the game. On the other hand, if the the Vikings defensive line can get that pressure on Winston and get in there and hit him Uh and make him uncomfortable, the game is won and lost right there.
2: Yeah. And what I'm interested to see is, whether or not Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael, if Jameis Winston's getting rattled and he's not producing early, I'm one. I'm curious to see whether or not they'll pull Jameis Winston and put in Andy Dalton. Um, because my my if, if I'm the coaching staff, I, I sit down with Jameis and I say, here's the situation. This is a this is a game we need to win. You if you feel like you can go out and win this game, you you make that call. But the minute you start or the second. You start making some bad decisions, and you, you make some you know really bad turnovers, or you you know can't make it happen. You're off. We're pulling you. You keep the lead short. Put in Andy Dalton. I mean, I and, I, and if that's the case, it'll be interested. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Vikings defense readjusts and manages Andy Dalton because they're pretty different. Play yeah. Styles right. Vegas,
0: man. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Well, Trace, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give us a prediction for the game this Sunday. Who wins? How much?
2: Okay, I'm going to say, and, my, and, and and I really hope I don't upset people, I'm going to say Vikings win in a close one, 27-24.
0: All right, I got it, I got it right around I, there. I, yeah, I was thinking...
2: I think, think the Vikings yeah. win in a close one, 27-24. I think the Saints start off hot and then just can't finish at the end, and I, I hate to say it, I would love to be proved wrong, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think this is going to be a tough
0: one. Yep, I got the Vikings winning, I got like 28-20. Um, I think too it'll yeah. kind of come down the Saints might have a drive at the end to try to get to it and um, uh, but I got the Vikings on top as well. Uh, Chase, Tr- Trace yeah. Gerard, uh, remind us again of your YouTube channel and the things you do.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. So uh, Saints now by Chat Sports. you can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can find any we cover most teams uh, across the NFL we cover a lot of NBA channels as well. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Trace 48. It's G-I-R-O-U-A-R-D. I know it's a hard spelling, <laughs> but uh, yeah guys, it was really fun. Thank you for having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it.
0: Uh, I'd love to do it again sometime maybe later down in the season we have a playoff game. Alright, sounds good. Trace Gerard. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. How about your Golden Gophers winning with just going away at Michigan State. 34-7. to um, you know, we had talked about with Tony Liebert and some of my predictions of talking about if the if the Gophers wanted to win the Big Ten West, you have to split in these games between Michigan State and Penn State in the road. Well, they took it to the Spartans and, and dominated. It almost came away with the first shutout in Michigan State in that stadium for, for a long time. Very, I think back in the '60s or something like that. And when you you kind of break down this this Gophers a little worried, Chris Ottman Bell out for the season. How's that going to go? But Tanner Morgan he had a great game. Only threw three incompletions, threw for 268 yards, three touchdowns. And and Mo Ibrahim, well, he is who he is. Trey Potts did very well. And you just look at the fact that uh, ten different gophers caught a football. So, you know, you miss Otman Bell, he's a, a special playmaker, but they did all these other wonderful things and just had such a great game plan. And, yes, Michigan State's beaten up and everything, but they were ranked up in like 10, 11, 12, and the Gophers now enter the top 25 at number 21, and that's where it always gets a little bit tricky, right? Can they hold on to that? Do you you play these games that you should beat? Here comes Purdue to town this week, and the Purdue Boilermakers people maybe thought they could be a little bit of a dark horse they're sitting at two and two they're banged up whether or not their starting quarterback plays is still to be determined uh you know and then you go on the road at illinois so you have two games here where you should win you should be undefeated going to penn state in what would be a huge game if both teams come into that undefeated penn state currently ranked number 11 but take care of business now. And PJ Fleck does a really nice job of that all the time of saying, hey, we want to win this week. We want to be one and this week. That's the focus. And that's something hopefully his players again, an experienced gopher team. And when you're an experienced gopher team, you you have to be able to say, We've been here before. A lot of these guys were around uh, in the great 2019 season. We've been here before and we know what we have to do and, and let's get it done. You know, Again, be 6-0 and going to Penn State and then see what happens from there. And even if you happen to lose at Penn State, there's so many winnable games on your schedule that you should be able to take care of business. And when you do that, you win the Big Ten West and you give yourself a chance and you put yourself in a great bowl game. And, and who knows? Strange things happen. So uh, we're rowing the boat here. Uh, even even uh, Dan Barrero of the Star Tribune, curmudgeon that he is, is rowing the boat a little bit and saying uh, this could be some some special times here for the Golden Gophers. 11 o'clock on Saturday they play. Uh, That'll be a good time. So it'll be kind of an earlier game uh, this Saturday than the Vikings play early on Sunday. Uh, That's exciting as well. And you know what? In today's technology world, if you don't want to get up and watch the Vikings at 8.30, you could set your DVR or whatever device you have to record it and go watch it at a normal time if you want to as well. It's the wonder of technology. That we have. The Minnesota Wild, Minnesota Timberwolves are in training camps. Uh, the Wild have already uh, done a little preseason action, beating the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, the Timberwolves are going to get to that state as well. And there's excitement brewing for both these franchises. You know, the Wild maybe a little bit less so. They didn't meet expectations last year, and uh, a little bit of wonder of uh, how, think, how are things going to go. And, and they've come out and some of their coaching staff and front office have said, you know, we really expect to do very well this year and and be right back in the mix for a Stanley Cup. The Timberwolves, same type of thing. They made some big offseason splashes. They filled out their roster. You know, they'll worry about the depth and the bench and we're going to have to see what comes. But they've signed some intriguing names and it'll be kind of exciting to see Timberwolves basketball you know, and that, that doesn't happen very often here in Minnesota. We're very excited going into a season, but the things that they showed last year and then going and getting a Rudy Gobert and things like that in the offseason make you as a fan say, hey, maybe I can be very excited about this. Maybe this is a real thing. And they seem dedicated to making this happen in a very real way. Uh, the uh, The Star Tribune had a story about you know the best stretch in the Timberwolves history the early 2000s and they won i think it was 206 games over four seasons time and the thought is if this group stays together and stays healthy uh, that should be they should be able to go past that maybe even and that's saying something again i think the goal is let's get a first round playoff game first of all you know g- get out of the play in tournament get a first round playoff game i think that's the goal for the Timberwolves this season your Minnesota Twins are playing out the string, and it's, it's ugly to watch. It's not a lot of fun to watch, and, and it you know doesn't give you a reason to watch. They're playing uninspired. You know All season long, you've been able to handle the Kansas City Royals. Then you go down there, and you get swept, and you're just showing, yeah, we're over it. And that's unfortunate. You still have these young guys, and these are still great learning opportunities, and they're just not making it happen. And I hate to see that. You want to see guys go out and bust their tail and do the best they can, but you shouldn't be going out and getting swept by Kansas City. You shouldn't get embarrassed by, you know, the Anaheim Angels. Uh, you know, obviously Otani is going to go out there and do his thing, but the Angels have been putrid for most of the year, aside from a really hot stretch kind of early on. Uh, you know, by the time we meet again next week, they will be finishing off their schedule again, playing out the string. I had said last week, hey, maybe they can shoot for 500. You would think you would want to do that. You would want to, you know, kind of show that you haven't given up, that you can accomplish that at least. Maybe try to catch the White Sox, uh, but it doesn't even look like they're trying to do that at all. And that's really unfortunate. You know, fans come out and they pay money, and they want to see you out in the field doing the very best that you can. And granted, some guys I'm sure are, but it just seems like they've they've mailed it in at this state of the season. So we'll wrap things up for the Twins next week. We'll start to really look ahead uh, for the Vikings, for the Gophers, for the Wild, for the Timberwolves. We'll have a lot to talk about, and that is the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On September 28th in 1969, Joe Cap passed for seven touchdowns in a 52-14 Vikings win over the Baltimore Colts at home. Good fantasy football day for Joe Cap. On September 28th 1969, the Twins clinched the Western Division with a 5-2 win over the Seattle Pilots, the only year of the Pilots' existence before they became the Brewers. Uh, That was the first year there was an Eastern and Western Division, and then they had the ALCS in order to go to the World Series. In 1974, Nolan Ryan of the Angels threw his third no-hitter, beating the Twins 4-0. In 1984, on September 28th, the Twins held a 10-0 lead over Cleveland and lost 11-10 and were officially eliminated from the playoffs that day. In 1987, on September 28th, the Twins clinched the Western Division crown with a 5-3 win over Texas. Down in Texas, of course, they would go on to win the World Series. In 1995, on September 28th, the Twins lost 12-4 to Cleveland, But worse was Kirby Puckett's being hit in the face by Dennis Martinez. That turned out to be Puckett's last game. He developed glaucoma in his eye, couldn't see anymore. Uh, Had nothing to do with being hit in the face, but an inauspicious end to Puckett's career. In 2018, Jose Barrios beat the White Sox and reached 200 strikeouts for the season, the eighth Twins pitcher to do so. On September 29th, In 2002, Seattle's Sean Alexander set an NFL record with five touchdowns in the first half against the Vikings in a 48-23 Seahawks win. He ran for four and also caught an 80-yard pass for a touchdown. A good fantasy day for Sean Alexander. In 1991, on September 29th, the Twins clinched the Western Division despite losing 2-1 to Toronto since the White Sox also lost that day. Of course, the Twins would go on to play Toronto in the ALCS and beat them four games to two. In 2014, on September 29th, the Twins announced they would be replacing Ron Gardenhire as manager. Gardenhire led the Twins to a number of playoff appearances, but they had lost a lot of games for a few consecutive years. In 2020, the Twins lost 3-1 to Houston in Game 1 of the playoffs, that shortened COVID season. Kenta Maeda started, was pulled after five innings with a 1-0 lead, and the bullpen could not hold that. On September 30th in 1968, the Twins fired manager Cal Irmer as the season ended. Of course, they would replace him with Billy Martin, who would lead them to the playoffs the next year. In 1981, on September 30th, the Twins lost their final game at Met Stadium 5-2 to Kansas City before moving to the Metrodome the next year. In 2008, the Twins played game 163 they were in a tie with the Chicago White Sox, played a one-and-done game, lost in Chicago 1-0 on a Jim Tome home run off Nick Blackburn. Tome, of course, would come over to play for the Twins for a few years later on. In 2018, the Twins beat the White Sox 5-4 to in Joe Bauer's final game. A nice touch. He went out to catch uh, one pitch for an inning and uh, was replaced and, and a good way to end his career. In 2020, on September 30th, the Twins lost 3-1 to again to Houston to be eliminated from the playoffs, continuing that postseason losing streak. On October 1st in 1945, Rod Carew was born. Happy birthday, Rod Carew. In 1961 on October 1st, not a Twins uh, thing, but Roger Maris set the home run record with number 61 in a one to nothing Yankees win over Boston. That, uh, of course, with Aaron Judge now in a Yankee uniform, yeah, he and Roger Maris are in the same breath when it comes to the number of home runs. In 1967, the Twins blew a 2-0 lead against Boston and lost the pennant on the final day of the season. Dean Chance started and, and pitched well, but then ended up being the loser. They weren't bringing in bullpen specialists in 1967. Uh, these guys were going as long as they could. In 1989, on October 1st, Kirby Puckett went 2-for-5 and finished with the best batting average in the American League at 339. In 1997... Wolves forward Kevin Garnett signed a record, a then-record, six-year, $123 million extension just two years out of high school. In 2002, on October 1st, the Twins came back from a 5-1 to deficit to beat Oakland 7-5 in Game 1 of the American League Divisional Series. That's right, the Twins used to win playoff games. In 2006, the Twins beat the White Sox and became the first team to ever lead their division only on the last day of the season. Joe Mauer also won the batting crown at 347, the first American League catcher to do that. And on October 1st in 2009, the Twins beat Detroit 8-3 to and in the process had nine or four players with 90 or more RBI in a season for the first time, Michael Kadire, Justin Morneau, Jason Kubel, and Joe Maurer. On October 2nd in 1981, the Metrodome was inflated for the very first time. It took about two hours to do so. In 1988, the Twins became the first American League team to break the 3 million fans mark with 3,030,672. I believe Toronto was the first team to break 4 million in attendance. In 2002, the Twins lost Game 2 of the American League Divisional Series to Oakland 9-1. In 2009, on October 2nd, the Twins beat Kansas City 10-7, and Joe Nathan set a new twin save record with 46. He would finish that season with 47. And in 2018, on October 2nd, the Twins announced Paul Molitor would not return as manager. He, of course, had been to the playoffs the previous season. New front office came in. He wasn't their guy. Uh, and they would replace him with Rocco Baldelli. On October 3rd, in 1970, the Twins lost Game 1 of the American League Championship Series 10-6 to to Baltimore at Met Stadium. In 1997, on October 3rd, the Twins signed a letter of intent to sell the team to Don Beaver of North Carolina. Remember all that? Those of you who are of a certain age, the Twins were going to move to North Carolina. Uh, Eventually, they were going to get contracted, and we have a new stadium out of the deal. In 2017, on October 3rd, the Twins made the playoffs for the first time as a wild card, but lost in a one-and-done to the Yankees 8-4 after leading 3-0 in the first inning. I remember I was at parent-teacher conferences that night, um, having to have that in my classroom, and I had the game on in the background trying to listen and talk to parents at the same time. On October 4th in 1969, the Twins lost to the Orioles 4-3 to in 12 innings in the very first League Championship Series game. In 1970, the Twins lost 11-3 to in Game 2 of the American League Championship Series to Baltimore. October 4th, 1986, Greg Gagne became the only Twins player to hit two inside-the-park home runs in a 7-3 win over Chicago. In 2002, on October 4th, the Oakland A's beat the Twins 6-3 in Game 3 of the American League Divisional Series. And in 2019, on October 4th, continuing a trend here, the Twins lost 10-4 to the Yankees in Game 1 of the American League Divisional Series. For my local listeners, in the New Richland, Heartland, Allendale, Geneva area, here are the upcoming events on September 29th. Cross Country is at Janesville, Volleyball at Blooming Prairie. September 30th, the football team will travel to Winthrop to play the GFW Thunderbirds. October 1st, Volleyball is at a tournament up at TCU in Montgomery. And then it's Homecoming Week on October 3rd is Coronation at 7.30 in the gym. October 4th, then, volleyball as a home game against Hayfield. That, of course, will be streamed on the NFHS network. I always hope to be there to provide the play-by-play in those situations. Well, that's going to do it for another week of waffle flipping here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to come and spend an hour with me. I hope you come back each and every Wednesday. 8 Eastern, 7 Central at 365sportscast.com. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode replays every evening at that same time. You could also go to YouTube or Spotify and catch up on any past episodes. Remember, if you have thoughts about the show, if you happen to be a big fan of one of the teams the Vikings are going to be playing coming up, email me waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at mrd1973. We'll be back next week to talk more Minnesota sports. We'll put a wrap on the Twins season. We'll see if the Vikings and the Gophers will continue in a path we'd like them to. And I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.